0: So, Tim, do you dream of electric sheep? Dude, all I can get my android to do is say, time to die. (laughs) Hi, my name's Tim, and I'm a data engineer, and I'm an eternal optimist. Hi, I'm Matthew, I'm a data scientist, and when I'm not a theorist, I am a cynic. And this is... Kill all humans. (sighs) So if you didn't pick it up for our Show, today, we're talking about the classic 1981 film or short story from a few decades before. I'm talking about Blade Runner. Matthew's talking about Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? So Blade Runner is this fantastic Ridley Scott film that was really influential in the field of cinema. You see its influences everywhere, including from our previous episode, Johnny Mnemonic. So you have this beautifully shot movie. Basically, it's, it revolves around a world where humanity is more or less doomed. The ecosystem's collapsed. We started making artificial humans, but these artificial humans are indistinguishable from regular humans unless you have some specialized skills and are able to perform certain tests. It revolves around a main character played by Harrison Ford. Uh, his character's name is Decker, his job is a Blade Runner, it's his job to hunt down these rogue replicants. And in the film, there's lots of back and forth about, one, the morality of creating these uh, replicants, uh, about sentience, about artificial life, and questioning really what it is to be alive. If you haven't seen this film, I want you to stop listening to this podcast right now hit pause, go watch this film. I don't care if it's director's cut, theatrical cut, final cut, go watch it now. You are missing out.
1: Yeah. And go read the short story, too, because what's really interesting here, Tim, is the fact that even though this is an incredibly deep, rich, complex sci-fi movie, it only covers about half the short story. Mm-hmm. There's a whole nother plot line in the short story which isn't touched upon. So all the people who remain on earth those that have not gone off to the colonies and we get hints of that going on there have developed a new religion in response to the environmental catastrophe and it's this worship of things like called mirza and it's this rep- worship of life itself and so one of the very interesting tenets of mirza is that you are to raise animal life uh, as part of the tenet of your religion so it's really important like Every animal life is sacred, down to the lowest worm, up to say llamas. Everything is valued. But like most religions, things go a little weird and a little wonky. So it becomes very status driven. It it really matters what kind of animal you have that you're trying to protect. And so like llamas, they're like the, the creme to the creme, dogs, cats. These are really, really important. But if you have, say, an ant farm, that doesn't get you any points at, at at uh at your local church.
0: It doesn't count towards uh merit badges at the meetings.
1: No, no, you don't get any merit badges for ant farms, but you, you do get merit badges for cats. But the problem is. There aren't any cats left. Mm -hmm. So or very, very few. And so like, you know, these animal dealers will come around. And that's what a large part of the story is about. It's about actually Harrison Ford's character has this animal and, and there's all these issues. But here's the thing. There are so few animals out there that everybody wants one. So people cheat. They buy robots. So (laughs) in in fulfillment of this religion now, in order to have status and get the merit badges for your Sunday school, they now have robotic llamas. And of course, to make it all real, the robotic llamas have to eat and poop and crap and all of this (laughs) stuff. So they have to be indistinguishable and identical, the real thing. So you have these people literally, and this is the best part, there's a whole scene with vets for these fake robotic animals. Because the animal doesn't do something right, they have to call in a vet to help them deal with their sick robotic llama. <laughs> it's a messed up little world, to say the least.
0: Yeah, and you wonder why this didn't quite make it into the movie versus the versus the fantastic action scenes, right? Although they did hint at yeah, that in the movie no, it quite been a bit. A little
1: interesting to, to film that, but.
0: Yeah, I think so, and I think uh, I think it just because of the density of the world. I mean, first of all, it takes place in the futuristic world of 2019, where there's problems right. with uh, decaying infrastructure, uh, poverty on the street, garbage everywhere, environmental collapse. So, a completely foreign future to what we have now. Right. Totally. Completely. Completely foreign. different. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I, I think, so the usual ethical things aside, because I think that's kind of where we go with a lot of these things is sort of the data and ethics discussion. But I do think, uh, especially when we talk about creating artificial life, and one thing that I found interesting is that we intentionally, in this movie, I say we as humanity, intentionally created artificial life to die, saying it had a certain finite time span. This is sort of a safety mechanism. It can't continue forever. So. This can feel pain. They can die. They can do all these things that human can do that make them equivalent to the human experience. So the question I have: what are the what is the ethics of making essentially a sophisticated artificial intelligence suffer and die? Do, are we well, in an ethically gray area here?
1: Are, yes, but it's it's a little worse than that actually because I think the fact that not only can they have pain suffer and die but are also indistinguishable from humans on all outward traits and you have to go to this very strange very sophisticated emotional response test in order to seek them out it's one of the very kind of disturbing qualities of this movie that that we would create them and then, very apparently, they used to be everywhere, but now they're banned from Earth because they revolted or something. Mm-hmm. And now they're only allowed on the outer colonies. So it's there's a lot of questions here in this movie that don't get answered about ethics, morality, but also why
0: and what what was going on with Edward James' almost facial hair that That was the one ethical thing that I think we need to answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a good one. Uh, he was cool.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I think one of the things that I focus on really was, again, is the ethical consideration of even just the creation of artificial life. So as we get more and more sophisticated with our artificial life, this is really one of the first films that we've seen where you look at artificial life as not malevolent, it's not benevolent. So we've seen films like that, or we've seen stories like that before. There's ethical considerations, too, around making basically life. So the question is, is that is making artificial life in a way where it's becoming indistinguishable from human life, no different than the act of biological reproduction at this point. So, and is this something, as we start making AIs have to start considering, uh, uh, us as engineers, as scientists, as data professionals, when we make something to any degree of intelligence, to any degree of sentience? is this the act of creating life? And what are the ethical and moral implications of doing this?
1: Right. And- the other thing I find really interesting about this movie, and it's a little bit of an aside, but we don't know anything about how these androids work. We don't know anything at all. There's no data science anywhere in the movie. And yet, we find that these androids are totally compelling to us, and I'm completely convinced that they're sentient. I actually, I don't think I'm the only person who says this. I want them to win. I kind of like, you know... <laughs> They did you know, nothing I, wrong. I, I feel like they're the most interesting characters in the movie are these these four androids.
0: And you're like, well, they're the only ones that you can look at in this movie that have transparent motivations, uh, actual right. like actual emotional depth, because then I think that was a very deliberate choice mm-hmm. in the film where they gave the androids, the artificial life, emotional depth and transparent motivations where everything else seemed to exist in this weird shade of gray. Right. Um, like everything
1: is very opaque and everything is very faded and emotions are muted and drives and desires are very muted,
0: but not these androids and they specifically, and they did hit on one thing in data science though, that I thought that maybe pick up on in the movie is that they did say that when they create, when they created these particular versions, the Nexus six androids, the ones that went amok, they gave them artificial memories to give them a level of emotional maturity now there is an analog to this in data science though to say that we're going to give uh when especially when we're talking about machine learning okay here's your set we're going to work off of in order to allow you to make decisions so basically you're training it using off of a set of data right. so really this is really no different in the sense that we are giving you an emotional backstory here's your emotional set so when you go and react and do things, you're working off this emotional set of data. So I think there is uh, – I think there's accidental data science in this movie.
1: Yes. Yes. No, I'll accept that. I think you're absolutely right because it's – there's a theory based on the Truman Project. So there's – the Truman Project is the the movie where they – a television studio buys a baby. Oh, the Truman Show. Yeah, yeah. To turn him into a star. Yeah and and they film every minute of every moment of his life and there's a theory that says if you were to play that movie to an ai that in theory an ai could learn everything about that person's life you could design an algorithm that would be able to train everything but you would need that movie That would be a sufficient piece of information, but anything less than that would not be sufficient to actually train an AI to understand at a basic level humanity.
0: And what I found also fascinating about that, too, is that not only did they give it the training, but they also provided it such a rich backstory that the AIs almost forget their AIs. I mean, so, I mean, you did have one who is convinced that it is human. That it is indistinguishable from those around it. And I'm wondering that if you do a sufficient job training uh, an AI, could you train an AI to not think it's something other than a human being?
1: Or I think it's actually, if you you train an AI well enough to be human, how could that not be the end result? Hmm. I mean, at a certain point, if you have a being that is physically distinguishable and complete with memories... How are they not going to know that they're a human?
0: And then this is where the – this is the heavy-hitting philosophy into this thing. It's that mm-hmm. what is really – so they have this emotional response test that, yes, in the end, they were able with 100 questions determine if uh, one of the Nexus 6s was an was artificial or not. But normally, it's 20 to 30. They're usually able to spot them like this. And again, that has such a cool analog to data today is that we are getting so close. I think about your example of calling IKEA customer support where we are starting to get to the point where machines are able to take into account emotional responses, provide emotional responses back. It's we're heading into a very strange world. And I think Blade Runner, whereas I, I don't think we're going to go quite that direction with it with flesh and blood AI. I, I just, I just don't see that path happening in the future, maybe thousands of years off where I can't predict it. But I, I can see the artificial version of this happening where we have computers so sophisticated, AI so sophisticated. They, they basically, we, we can't tell if they're mimicking emotions or actually have emotions. And that's well, and that's where we're going to go. They
1: have the line in the movie. She asks him. She asks Deckard. Have you ever retired a human by mistake? And I and I think that's a real problem. Like, how many humans have they retired? And because they've the humans have failed the exams.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Like the exams is like because uh, we don't, so we see the exam administered twice in the film. Uh, we mm-hmm. see it administered once with uh, with Leon who goes who goes ape who goes ape shit and shoots the mm-hmm. shoots the administrator of the test and then Decker who's doing it but we're seeing it against a very sophisticated AI so we don't actually see a fail that happens that doesn't result in someone getting shot that's the part of the movie I'd like to see mm-hmm. if they can do that uh, so it's just like it's so fascinating like they're looking at pupil response they're seeing emotional response mm-hmm. they're seeing because I think again it goes back to that whole idea of how the AI is trained what they're trying to do with the emotional responses is they're trying to throw an emotional response that the AI didn't train on to see if they can break the response of the AI. And again, that's another sort of, there's a sort of analog there. If you can kind of figure out a scenario. So you talk about our other AIs, uh, we've talked about like HAL and all these other things that if you can come up with a situation that it did not, that it was not programmed for, it did not encounter, does not have a background for, how does it react in that situation? And that's what I think the test is designed, designed to do.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. That that really does. But it it you know it gets me back to this whole moment, like you know where the the inventor tells Decker, "I I want you to see a negative first before I show you a positive." But of course, he's playing a game with Decker, yeah. and he and it's it's his special creation.
0: Yeah, the he doesn't NBA want to give away. The I game. modeled
1: after his niece.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, he doesn't want to give away the game, of course. So he's making it so right. that. Uh... And, you know, Decker, of course, being an exceptionally skilled uh, Blade Runner, mm-hmm. that's that's why. Right. So, I mean, uh, right. if it hadn't been Decker and just the guy who got shot in the first scene, she probably would have passed the the version of this iteration of the Turing test. But
1: it, it's there's some other interesting AI here. Like, one of them that's really subtle that I like is the photographic enhancement tool. <laughs> I was because sitting watching with my... Just, uh, <laughs> It's just like that's not just photo enhancement that he did. That was like it did a 3D recreation and the way he moves around, he oh, actually gets God. in behind somewhere else. And,
0: and you know, we laugh at the unrealistic parts of the scene where it's like enhance, click, 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 enhance, click, 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 yeah. click, 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 enhance, you know, but we have that tech. We can do that today. That is something that we I, can actually I don't think we can get quite to the level they got to in that movie, but we are so incredibly close to being able to do that.
1: We are, but it, it clearly required that a computer had to generate a 3D model of the room mm-hmm. from the photograph, and then it could do all the stuff. But I, I love the fact that not only do they have this incredibly sophisticated AI algorithm, but
0: he's running it on this clunky, crappy computer. Right? Well, this is, this is my theory. It's the cloud. It's all connected to the cloud. <laughs> no,
1: no. See, I think it's more that like... We really are past the tipping point on this planet Earth, the planet Earth of Blade Runner. Everything is decaying: the computers decaying, the buildings are decaying, mm-hmm. the hardware is decaying. But the algorithms last because that doesn't decay as quickly. So you have this super advanced algorithm running on this machine that's basically on its last legs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it's it's it it speaks to the. You know, we'll get to the idea, I think, of tipping points and and things like this where societies change, transform, and even die. But I I almost see this as a post-AI world. Where a world where they had AI, they they reached the pinnacle of their technology, but in doing so, they destroyed the environment to such a degree that basically almost everyone left and they went to the colonies. And what's left behind is this kind of dead shell of you know, of a world. And like, even though the world seems very clouded and claustrophobic, I think that there's only maybe a percentage of humanity left on the planet. And they're all confined to these very tiny cities.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you did see Blade Runner 2049. They did kind of right. hint at that when they left the city for mm-hmm. a few of the scenes. And you you get a sense of that, how deserted everything right. else is outside of these very contained or very densely populated cities. It's a bit like Judge Dredd in a way. (laughs) You know, you have like a couple Mm -hmm. mega cities in some wasteland. You know, that's I think it's probably closer to Judge Dredd than anything else.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's exactly what happened is that you you had this society build up to a certain point and then it collapsed and this is what's left.
0: Yeah. It's just and now it's
1: it's really it's interesting because like in the scenes the city, everything feels really rich, really vibrant but it's all fake i mean everything's fake the ostriches are fake the snakes are fake there's nothing left other than just people who were rejected from colonization based on medical conditions
0: yeah i mean it's just uh it, it's just absolutely uh it's absolutely crazy with everything and um the the idea too like animals are gone it, it, mm-hmm. like it, it's it's such a bleak and depressing yet there's something at the end optimistic about the world too where we see that right. all the animals and all the other forms of life and even humanity itself you can make an argument starting to go extinct but then you have this rise of another life form that's happening all around you so you're almost seeing like humanity rebooting itself in the form of replicants mm-hmm. and it's such right. there's so many layers that you can just keep peeling away the mm-hmm. onion on this uh, and talk about for hours and hours but unfortunately this is a relatively short podcast so we're almost to the point where we have to start are talking about our touring score, I almost hate well, to do you know, it. No, and I, 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 I'm almost there. But I, I just say, like one last thing is like you know,
1: Philip K. Dick's focus is on dreams, and even though he doesn't directly address the data science, except in a few of these little interesting accidental incidents, he, from his focus on dreams, he creates something really rich and really compelling. And that says to me there is something fundamental of dreaming to sentience and and the fact that i know that roy and chris and the other replicants have dreams makes them very real to me
0: because dreaming is like one of it's a poorly understood thing it's like a jumble of your subconscious so then it it has to answer the question do does artificial life have a subconscious i mean it has a conscience sure but the subconscious is so important to the human experience that how can you consider something alive or sentient if it doesn't have an under, a layer underneath? And, right. and, that's, and that's what I think this sort of drove at. And it's just like, mm. hmm. Ah, Jesus! It's like I feel, I feel bad for the Turing score I'm about to give it.
1: <laughs> I know. So do I. Because, <laughs> um... let's let, then let's go to it. Let's do it quick, painlessly. Let's just do it. Okay. All right. You go first.
0: Okay. Well, on the plus side, I think, uh, for the reasons I cited when it comes to talking about certain concepts and data. And again, we're talking about concepts and data, right? So we talk about training algorithms, uh, how we can, uh, emotional responses. Uh, so basically in the same sense of data science, trying to trick up the, the training in order to, um, see if you can elicit a reaction or basically make the android throw a blue screen of death in essence and i i think so i think they're going to get some bonus points from that but i'm gonna have to knock a few back from the concept of biological artificial life uh as from a data concept it it just doesn't make sense with today's level of technology especially because this movie took place in the past sorry so i'm unfortunately gonna have to give this one a 3.5 out of five for any sort of realism they get many great points on certain concepts and uh, the philosophical points but i'm gonna have to knock a few back uh, when it comes to realism
1: yeah no i gotta say the same thing it's it's way too advanced way too fast and i just don't understand why they're gonna build an android that is indistinguishable i think that's just not something that just really it just doesn't make sense to me. So yeah, I'm a 3 out of 5 too.
0: But you know what? I think I know why they uh I think I know why that uh they made them indistinguishable from the humans. It was probably for okay. the same reason the VCR industry took off in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on. Okay. Well, how about we wrap up and we can do this in the playout. Um so I want to thank our listeners for checking out our show. Uh check us out on Podbean. We're also going to be on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Anyway, for Kill All Humans, I'm Tim. And I'm Matthew. We'll see you next time. Okay, so the reason why VHS took off is not because of like, things like Blockbuster or anything like that. It's because people wanted to watch certain kinds of movies. seen things you people wouldn't believe. I see trees of green, red roses too, I see them bloom, for me
1: and you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world.